Welcome to Right to the Point, a podcast featuring honest conversation about biblical solutions to America's cultural challenges. Hi, I'm Tim Throckmorton of LifePoint Ministries. To learn more about LifePoint and to access past episodes of Right to the Point podcasts and commentary, and if you'd like to support the podcast, visit lifepointusa.org. We're so glad you've joined us today in this episode. We're going to talk about the book, 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home, and discuss the importance of passing along a biblical worldview to a new generation. I've invited my good friend Josh Mulvihill to join us. Josh, welcome. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. So glad you've taken the time and responded to my request so quickly. Josh has a Ph.D. in family ministry from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's executive director of church and family ministries. This ministry is tasked with a mission of equipping churches and parents to do better in developing a biblical worldview in the hearts and minds of children in their care. Never a more important day for this discussion. Josh, the book is tremendous. If I was pastoring, I would give this to every couple who uh, are expecting or are dedicating a baby 50 things. There's a backstory that is just beautiful. So introduce the book by kind of that backstory, if you will, and we'll talk about the importance of doing what's in this book. Well, the backstory really is my experience growing up. Uh, my parents were first-generation Christians. Uh, were learning how to parent with me as their oldest, and uh, decided they were going to be super intentional and strategic in how they raised us. I didn't know this, of course, uh, until my parents invited me out to breakfast one morning. I was seventeen. The summer. Uh, before my senior year of high school, and my parents brought me out to breakfast, and they slid a piece of paper across the table, and they said, we've got nine months with you, Josh, before you head off to college, and we want to kind of put the finishing touches on our time with you. Is there anything on this piece of paper that you feel like we haven't accomplished in your life up to this point. So this was kind of, they were actually kind of inviting me to evaluate their parenting, which is unique for a, yeah. a child with his parents. And I looked at the list, never seen it. They'd never talked to me about it. It was well-worn, had check marks and dates next to things. And uh, kind of my, my childhood and teen years flashed before my eyes as I looked at things like, life skills and character traits and spiritual habits and relational items that were important, kind of all down through the list. And I could remember working on manners, how to shake a hand and look someone in the eye. Uh, and I, my eyes landed on small engine repair. And I mentioned to my parents that uh, they could probably cross that off the list because that one, that one, uh, that one wasn't <laughs> happening. I'm just not mechanically uh, minded, but um, that that you know that they had this level of intentionality for myself and my siblings to disciple us holistically. Uh, of course, there are certain areas that matter infinitely more than things like manners and small engine repairs. But when we're talking you know, mature adults who get launched into this world, who are godly, 
uh, and able to operate, uh, you know, their own, they're independent in the sense that they're not living in their parents' basement forever. Um, these were the kinds of inputs I had from my parents. Some hear that and are like, oh my goodness, I'm super intimidated. That's not me. I'm not that organized. Uh, but, you know, I think there is, in in general, my experience as a pastor is that there's a lack of intentionality and a lot of parents are just flying by the seat of their pants day to day. And we end up missing a lot of really good discipleship opportunities. And many, you know, we, we all want to avoid this scenario where we get to uh, graduation day for high school with our child and wonder, Oh man, did I do what was needed mm. to really disciple them, to have those key conversations, to give them what they need to be a godly adult and land on their own two feet and make an impact in this world for Jesus Christ. And so that book that you mentioned, it, uh, you know, it's not meant to be a formula, but it's, it's a, it's a template. I like to call it a template that parents can use to create their own customized discipleship plan for a child. And of course, the earlier, the better, but it helps families that with any age child, uh, even in the teen years, because, you know, there's, you know, the, the teen years, uh, if we, if, if I have teens, uh, you know, that's not the time to take the foot off the gas pedal. That's a really critical time that we, you know, and even if you only have a year or two left, there's so much that can be done in a year or two with a young person with some intentionality that it's not too late. And, uh, God honors all those things that are planted in, uh, in any age and stage. It's a phenomenal book, and again, I would give that as a pastor to every young family. And you know, one of the things I've noticed, Josh, as I as I work, you know, my my role with the Family Research Council takes me around the country, meeting with pastors and leaders, and in many of the churches where we begin to share the data from our Center for Biblical Worldview, some of George Barna's latest research, as it lands in the hearts of parents and and grandparents. They become involved. They become well. At first, they get a little angry, but then they become involved. Uh, you know, and they want to do something. And, and when I say they get angry, they get frustrated at what the culture is doing and what it's creating. But then they want to get involved. And one of the things that I heard recently from a pastor was not only has the understanding of where we are culturally brought more involvement, but he said we have re. We have rethought and and retuned how we minister to our young families with great intentionality, training them to do just what's in this book and really what we're supposed to do anyway. I'm sure you're seeing that as well uh, around the country. I'm really grateful for George Barna's research, and it is a, an eye-opener. It's a awakener for a lot of people, pastors included. And the one thing that we can't do as churches is to think that we can replace the home. And, you know, we're the church is a, a, fin, a phenomenal support, a wonderful partner, a great, um, you know, a, a great come-alongside uh, individual. But, it, but I think in many ways the church has— um, has it, it stepped into a role that either discourages parents from discipling their kids or um, tries to pick up the slack in a way that just uh, disempowers parents. And so what that pastor said that you mentioned is critical. If churches don't 
really intentionally help parents to do what they're called to do biblically, uh, they're happy to outsource that, and we don't want drop-off parents. And so any, if any pastors are listening today, um, there, you know, there needs to be some intentionality around how parents are equipped and trained because many of them don't feel confident or uh, have the tools they needed to do. And that's honestly one of the reasons I wrote that book. Um, you know, I was pastor for 20 years and I was shocked. Uh, it was a big aha moment when I realized a high percentage of parents that I was pastoring weren't doing some of these critical things, some of the basic things. And were I flat out had parents told me that they were relying heavily on myself and the church to um, to train their kids. And, you know, at first you're kind of like, well, that's really honoring. But then you realize I only have an hour or two a week with most kids and it's not going to cut it. It can't replace parents. So amen to that pastor. And uh, let's uh, you know, churches need to really get serious about this. Yeah. And, and it's it's not the church's role in the first place. Uh, to do that, as you know, you're alluding to there, and what a moment we have in our culture. I always look at, you know, things that are going on. I, I see there's a lot of bad stuff, but what opportunities we have today to raise up a new generation of young parents uh, who know how to instill a biblical worldview. And you, you mentioned this book being a template. It really is. And, it, and I, I encourage folks uh, to, to, to look this up, find this book, buy this book. A lot of places you can pick it up, renewanation.com. Let me encourage you to go there, renewanation.com. Pick up the book and give it to young families you know, because even if they, their children are small, this will still work. You, they, can, they can build this list, they can build things, and it's not a it's like you said, Josh. This is a template. Uh, it it can uh, it can be fashioned to work within any family and any dynamic, can it? Yes, it can. Yep, any age from expecting to I've got an eighteen year old and we're uh, we're ready to ready to launch them, but we want to do a couple last things. Deeply, uh, I deeply appreciate your heart here. Um, as yeah, and your your involvement has been in the realm of of uh, helping those who are working, uh, developing Christian schools and minister church ministries to to students, um, developing uh, really church ministries to public school teachers and families. What an important day for that. What's what's your perspective of where we are on the other side of the Loudoun County and all the school board? fiascos that are kind of still happening. Where, where do you see us now in culture? What do we need to be focusing on as churches and as parents? Well, education is, uh, is a uh, difficult topic in a lot of churches that pastors just avoid because they don't want to offend parents. But I think the first thing that we have to recognize today is we can't have that attitude anymore uh, because we're we're seeing the impact of education so significantly in the lives of young people that it's not a it's not a topic that pastors can stand on the sidelines on. Uh, I would, uh, for anybody on this topic, you know, the Bible's not silent on education. So I would just that's our authority. Uh, the Bible talks about education in terminology like teach and learn and knowledge and. Uh, there's it's so many different um, terms the Bible uses that it helps us to understand 
what kids are to be taught, what they're to, to learn, how they're to do that, who's supposed to teach. Um, and I think if a if an educational outcome can't accomplish the kinds of things the Bible is tells, the Bible's pretty prescriptive about teach your children these things, um, then we have to choose a form of education that um, that helps us to accomplish the thing God things God commands with our kids. So, uh, I you know I'm I'm pretty pro Christian education uh, because of that reason. Um, as a pastor, I took that stand. I had families in our church. You know, I was at a church that a mega church, multi site. We of course had families with kids in public school, private school, private Christian school, homeschooling. Um, and so families that would choose to go the public school route, um, I would train them to learn what their kids are being taught. And that's, you know, we're, we're, we've woken up to that thanks to COVID. A lot of parents that weren't aware of the things that were being taught. Um, and you know, I, I think as parents, if you're, your kids are in the public school, you have to read everything they're reading. You have to watch everything you're, they're watching and you, need to have those conversations at home. Uh, most parents that do this well, it takes a good hour or so a day, uh, and that's just a reality. Uh, and you need to be involved in the school system, in the classroom, getting to know the um, school board members, the, um, you know, the administrators. And, um, and you know, I think, um, you know, my, my preference for, for families is that they would choose some form of Christian education because then they don't have to do the unteaching and the reteaching. And I call it educational bulimia, where <laughs> um, we try to encourage kids to essentially vomit up the bad stuff they're taught. And yeah. the, real, the reality is we don't think that that's a good approach with a physical body, we wouldn't feed kids something that we know is not healthy for them and then regularly encourage them to vomit it up. But we think for some reason in the world of ideas that we can encourage kids to consume these ideas and that we can, um, you know, un unteach and reteach. And the reality is I just, I think that's a, a losing battle for a lot of children. And I think we're seeing that reality played out in the number of kids that are walking away from the faith, deconstructing their faith. Um, obviously there's a lot of factors involved. Education's one of many. I'm not saying that that's the only, uh, and it's complex for a lot of kids, but I ask, you know, as I'm out and about speaking, uh, I'll ask people, that will, you know, it's like an epidemic. I speak to a lot of Christian grandparents and um, the line of Christian grandparents that line up to say, will you please help me? My child or my grandchildren aren't walking with Jesus. And I'll, I'll ask all the time, can you trace back what caused them? What were some of the factors that led to your child, your grandchild, not walking with Jesus. And education, I tell you, secular education is at the top of the list. I just rode on an airplane a couple weeks ago with a father who was nearly in tears as he talked about his two adult children in their 30s now who are have rejected the faith, not walking with Jesus. And he said, and I asked him that, and he said it was because I sent them to a non-Christian school, non-secularized. And he goes, and at the time, you don't see it. You don't see the seeds that are planted that come to bear fruit. You know, And it takes years for these things to bear fruit. 
Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we're seeing some of that now with loud County and the other things, um, that it's just, it's a, it's a, I just, why play that? Why play that? Why, why have that gamble? And so, um, you know, Christian education isn't the silver bullet in the sense it's going to, you know, it's, it, it, that doesn't mean that we're going to have perfect outcomes, but I think it definitely increases the odds when you get parents that are discipling churches that are preaching God's word, education that is cr- distinctly Christian, that creates a pretty strong three-stranded cord that's tough to break. And, you know, we could point to kids who've walked away from the faith that that's been their experience, but that's definitely lower. And so in the education arena, if there's, you know, people that are listening here thinking about what do we do with our, which route do we go, Christian education or non-Christian, I would say go Christian education. It's, you know, there's, there are sacrifices. We homeschool our five kids um, there's sacrifices with any route. Um, we thought with our with homeschooling, what we thought was the biggest sacrifice has ended up being some of the greatest blessings with our kids, just the amount of time that we get with them, that we know their heart and the relational blessings that come from all of that. Um, I read, Tim, recently that the average parent spends 37 minutes per day with their, chi- with their children. That's it, wow. 37 Wow. Uh, and it's really difficult to help a child to, to shape a child's belief system when we just don't have time with them. And, um, and that was one of our reasons for choosing uh, to homeschool was we – I know that whoever has the greatest amount of time with the child is the one that's going to have the greatest influence. And I want that to be me. I want that to be my wife. Uh, and so, um, you know, there's going to be a sacrifice, whatever route. And, and honestly, I think some parents, their reason for choosing public education is that it is the most convenient. It is, I mean, there's other factors there. Obviously there's many have a evangelistic, um, you know, desire to reach public school world. That's probably the most common I hear. Um, and there's many noble other reasons, uh, but there's also some for reasons too, some selfish reasons that are are there for a lot of parents that um, you know we don't want to spend the money on that. It's a priority piece. It's a it's a um, there's a selfishness piece there, and we need to call it what it is. Yeah. And so uh, we need to bring that before the Lord. And um, you know, the, the the piece for me is when I look at my children they're going to stand before Jesus Christ in eternity one day. And I want to make every decision that I make as a parent to help them bow their knee to Christ now, where they call him Lord and Savior, place their faith in him, and not not play Russian roulette with their eternal destiny. And and uh, and I know I know tons of public school parents, tons of public school teachers. Uh, I'm not calling motives or intentions poor in they're good people love the Lord want to see uh, the public school world transformed for Christ. But I think there's other ways we can reach children with the gospel. It doesn't have to be through education uh, through, you know, there's lots of different ways we can share the gospel with children. And so, um, so I'll just, you know, we could talk a lot yeah. about the education piece there, but I was all over. So no, we'll no, where no. You want to go with it's, that. it's good. I, you know, the, I tell young parents, the only regret, the only regret I personally have in 60 years of life has to do with time in my family. 
the only things I wish I'd have done more of looking back is just that. And I believe that eternity's full of people who <laughs> wish the same thing. And many people who get down to the end of their life wish the same thing, that they spent more time. And quite honestly, we are built in this culture for, you know, the the time with public school, the time in entertainment, the time with uh, uh, sports and activities. Uh, it's not, not much of that is conducive to building in a biblical worldview into a child's life. And in that 2 to 13 age window that we have to do that, uh, it's coming full force from a different direction and not, not from the scriptures. And so uh, that particular pastor I mentioned, you know, he's saying we're purposefully teaching our parents how to disciple their kids. Uh, and that's a, we're supposed to do that anyway. I think it's a lost piece as Christianity has, has moved forward in America. Some of the things that have felt fallen by the wayside, that's a critical piece. And now we've got a few generations that have, haven't been discipled and that lack of biblical, those numbers that George gives us, which are quite depressing, by the way, uh, you know, that they're reflective of that very thing. And so just discipling a child is something that every parent needs to know. Agree. Yeah. Well, how, how, how would, uh, as a pastor, what would you look at in your church ministry-wise and say, this is what where our priorities need to be? What would your focus be, and what would you recommend to the pastors of young families today? If you can remember one phrase, every family worshiping together, it has two arms to it, and one is prioritizing families uh, in corporate worship, togetherness, is key uh, so that families have time to disciple and corporate worship is is the, the the family of God together if we can't if we can't do church as family in that setting then um, the whole family conversation falls apart right from the get-go because we've programmed uh, the opposite. Uh, and so corporate worship is a priority I believe for every churches doesn't mean kids can't be part of other, aged-based discipleship ministries. Ours are. We just, you know, we attend two hours on a Sunday morning. Uh, but if we're only there for one hour, we are prioritizing corporate worship uh, together, worshiping together the Lord. The second arm is family worship. And uh, this, these are the two programs, if you want to call them that, that the church should be really driving hard for. One is within the walls of the church. One is within the walls of the home. And um, if you're not familiar with the term family worship, it simply is kind of a catch-all phrase to describe reading the Bible together, discussing it, uh, praying together as a family, and uh, oftentimes uh, worshiping God through song, you know, whether that's um, playing some music or just doing that uh, as a family around the piano or some other instrument. Um, you know, we don't break out into song uh, around the table <laughs> on a regular basis, but we do sing, uh, you know, we, you know, whether it's in the car, or, you know, at certain times. Um, and so these two things, if families can do corporate worship and family worship, those are two pretty core pillars to just habits of the home that are families that we can, we can work towards. And that's a simple one, you know, every family worshiping together. There's obviously way more than that, but that becomes doable for most churches, no matter the size or how 
many other kinds of ministries are going on in the in the church to say, all right, we can do corporate worship and we can do family worship. That's a good starting point. And those become the the vehicles to disciple, the vehicles to give kids a biblical worldview. Uh, they're not the end all, of course, um, and uh, and they just you know they become the the two wings on the plane that actually fly us somewhere, and hopefully it's to the feet of the cross to Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. There are there are forces at work trying to undo everything you've described right there, and it, uh, every family has a choice, every church has a choice as to what their priorities are. And one of the reasons, again, back to the book, <laughs> I'm telling you, every pastor needs to, to check this out. If you don't, if you aren't giving these away to your families and your new families, uh, you need to think about that. 50 things every child needs to know before leaving home, uh, raising children to godly adults is the subtitle. And I, I just love the way it's packaged. This is a wonderful... Um, keepsake book and it's uh, it's something that'll go with you and your child through their lives and what you what you're doing and josh i'd, I'd like your perspective on this uh in the last five minutes or so we have together as you build this into uh the life of your family that's going to change generationally so if you've not experienced that in in the last few generations of your family you can start now something that will take on a life of its own. And if you will do this with your children, it's probably going to be the case that they'll do that with theirs as well. Don't you believe? That's right. It gives them a role model. It, you know, we, uh, we tend to gravitate towards the things our parents are passionate about. And when we start to see the passion they have for Christ and that lived out in the mundane and the and the big things of life you know we tend to replicate that um with you know with in our own heart and then with our kids in the future and that really is a a psalm 78 kind of um mindset that you just described tim where it talks about teach these things to your children so that they may teach them to another generation and a generation not even yet born and so the Bible really has this multi-generational, over a hundred-year discipleship vision that it's not just us teaching our kids, it's uh, we want our kids to teach their kids, which would be our grandkids, as it gets perpetuated from generation to generation. And the you know, one of the biggest warnings in scripture is that that didn't happen well and that uh, you know, Judges 2.10 and, in fact, Psalm 78.9 and the whole rest of the 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 book of the chapter, Psalm 78, is that there was generations of Israelites that didn't disciple their kids well, and you see the fallout from that. And, uh, and of course, we want to avoid that. So as we invest that in our kids and then give them a vision to disciple their kids, and we get a, the joy of... Jumping in a little bit as grandparents, you mentioned you're in that arena, Tim. Um, <laughs> we get to come alongside and um, you know and let our you know kids have the primary role, but grandparents have the same goal and get to get to participate. And man, that that becomes critical so that we don't see uh, future generations in our home and in our family uh, turning their their back on the Lord. And uh, and this can help you uh, do that, hopefully. Amen. And another uh, article, I'm not sure if it's an article or a book, Biblical Grandparenting. Is that a book you wrote or is that just an article? 
That's a, bu- a book, yeah. Okay, okay. So there you go. Biblical grandparenting. I've I've tried to be intentional. When Terry and I became parents, we were so young, and I did not know uh, even how to be a parent. Well, now, as a grandparent, I know a lot more. And so I'm trying to really spend time with my grandbabies, pouring in the scriptures every day to them, every chance I get. Send them a video every morning with a scripture and just... just um, being very intentional in in that. Josh, you are making a difference. It's such an honor to have you join me on Right to the Point. It's such an honor to know you and to recommend this book. And I want uh, pastors who hear this podcast to to go. We're, we're going to put the link. In fact, Josh, when we post this to our, our page, we're going to put the link to the book and to, to you as well and to Renew a Nation so folks can go there and they can learn how some of the things you describe can be accomplished, whether it's speaking uh, to or dealing with uh, the education of your children, starting a, a Christian school or, or homeschool. These things are available at Renew a Nation, and Josh, you're, you're making a difference. I truly appreciate your insight and uh, your ministry. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for tuning, or thanks for joining me here today. Thank you, Tim, and <clears throat> all glory to the Lord. <laughs> amen, amen. Well, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to join us for Right to the Point. To learn more about LifePoint ministry and to access past episodes of Right to the Point podcast and commentary. And if you'd like to support the podcast, visit LifePointUSA.org. The links to Josh's book and to Renew a Nation will... Uh, will be on this uh, podcast post as well. So, Josh, thank you again for joining me, and God bless you in all that you do, sir. God bless you too, Tim.